Hello and welcome to today's episode of Activate, my podcast for the 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence campaign in 2022. My name's Anna Knight, I'm a survivor of domestic violence, and I'm also a coach that supports women and non-binary people who've experienced trauma to recover and lead the joyful life they deserve. Today's guest was booked from the intention I really set out for for this podcast, which was to cover as wide a range of angles as possible on the topic. I'm really passionate about breaking down the stereotypical images of what's involved in gender-based violence, who's affected, and I can honestly say that today's topic of modern slavery had never occurred to me as having a link to gender-based violence. My guest today, Paul, and I connected via mutual connections on LinkedIn. And when we were messaging, I was fascinated by what he said, that often people have tunnel vision so we don't see the external factors when it comes to things like gender-based violence. So in some of the cases that he's helped with, yes, there have been aspects of domestic abuse, for example, but there were also things like sexual exploitation and trafficking going on. It's important to consider these factors too, and so I was really grateful to Paul for giving me his time, his expertise on this aspect so that we can all take those blinkers off. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So could we start with a quick introduction of yourself, Paul? My name is Paul Witherington. I work within the homeless sector in the Kent area. I have a background in working with people that have suffered exploitation, modern slavery, county lines, things of that nature. Yeah, and I've been doing it a long time. It's something I really enjoy. Mm, When I was preparing for today, I realised that I actually didn't have a clear definition of what modern slavery is. So could you tell us what you mean when you use that term? Yeah, sure. I, I do a lot of training on delivering awareness around that. And it is, it's a term that I think people, there's a lot of misconceptions. So it's things like sexual exploitation, labour exploitation, domestic servitude, where people are kept in a house or an accommodated setting and made to do things like au pairs, nannies, those types of things, but under you know other factors like coercion, duress, things of that nature. Criminal exploitation, which is why the county lines aspects fall under the modern slavery legislation. All of the the things that are entwined with those, uh, it's it's very, very common, but it's not as gripped by professionals as something like domestic abuse. It's kind of where domestic abuse was maybe 30, 40 years ago in terms of people being comfortable with it, yet people see it maybe unwittingly in their personal and professional lives, I imagine, quite often, but maybe just mislabel it or are not as comfortable with it, if that makes sense. So to clear up a belief I held then, is it just people who come in from different countries or is modern slavery a domestic problem too? That's a a really common misconception. It is 100% part of it when I do a lot of training most people have the conception it's either foreign nationals European nationals being brought to England for example which is absolutely part of it the trafficking is a much more simpler concept and it is just the movement so like you'll probably be aware of like the Rotherham case the movement of someone from A to B which could be literally across the street if you've got an exploitative aspect of that and maybe an element of something like deception or coercion, then you've got a case of trafficking. So like a domestic abuse example, if someone, if a partner is pimping out their partner and they move them from A to B to sell them for sexual services, 99.9% of the time that's not going to be consensual. So then you've got a case of trafficking for sexual exploitation. 
and most people would be comfortable with the fact that that's domestic abuse because absolutely there is domestic abuse present but there are other things at play as well that can open up more support for people but only if you're considering it you know it's obviously domestic abuse most people rightly think of refuge marac safety plan dash those types of terms to obviously try and help people which are accurate but then you have the national referral mechanism which is the safeguarding protocol for people that experience things like modern slavery which is also consensual but it is a different way of trying to access support but it's generally one that when i say nrm to people most people will say nr what and it just shows the level of understanding is not quite where it should be so what do you wish professionals knew when they're out and about in the community i think it's just maybe when people are telling you things you know sometimes i find they will give you bits of information and it's about really hearing what they're saying so from a homeless point of view for example so that people they will always lose their id documents historically we would be okay with that well actually it's a case of well, where is your id you know that could be a controlling mechanism if someone's holding onto a passport or a bank card or something of that nature or if someone's saying they're working for cash in hand might be genuine could be working for a friend for example but generally most cash in hand work tends to be under the minimum wage which is labor abuse which isn't modern slavery but if you add in extra factors so like the travel to and from work maybe no pay slips those types of things could trip it into labor abuse into labor exploitation which is modern slavery it's just about unpicking the information when people tell you things or hearing it and then having those professional conversations to explore it oh that's really interesting one theme that's come out of other interviews in this series as well is that when you're talking to survivors, it's about listening to how things are said as well as what is said, like reading between the lines. Yeah, absolutely. I think I was at a conference recently and they had a young male giving a talk with lived experience having been involved in gangs and county lines and he tried to make a disclosure to a social worker at a young age that he was basically helping a gang deconstruct and construct guns so they could take it on the rail network for obviously doing whatever it is they need to do within the gang context but he tried to tell his social worker at a young age and he was labeled a fantasist and it really alienated him and pushed him into the arena where he felt obviously he was compelled to do whatever it was the gang wanted him to and he became had that more shared sense of identity because he was alienated from the services that could have helped him and the way he was talking you know you really have to put a huge amount of effort in to listen to people and give them love but you know try and help them as if it was a loved one that you were trying to assist because people can tell when you're being disingenuous and if your heart's not really in it. And it was really interesting. And the amount of professionals that were listening to him was really interesting to see just how that resonated with people. Yes, and this links so well with our interview for episode 16. So for people who are listening to the whole series, if you're interested in this idea of love, please be sure to tune in later. Now, as we know, this is a podcast about gender-based violence. so. Is there a difference in how modern slavery is experienced by people of different genders? I think generally people tend to prey on people. The more vulnerable they tend to be, the better they are to exploit. Obviously, I don't mean that as it sounds, but the more vulnerable they are, generally they don't articulate as well. They may not even see themselves as a victim. Some of the different types of modern slavery are synonymous with gender. So you will have females sexually exploited. But there are male cases. We've had male cases in Kent that I'm aware of, for example. Labour exploitation tends to be 
males, but obviously it does happen to females as well. And domestic servitude can happen to men and women and county lines and criminal exploitation can be both, but predominantly maybe males for the county line side of the criminal exploitation with regards to the drug running and you know, movement of money, things of that nature. But then you might have sexual elements within the county line set up as well. So yeah, it's very diverse, but it literally is someone is capable of grooming that person and there's a reason that they're very non-discriminative in that fashion. They just look for vulnerabilities to prey on people to obviously get that opportunity. And quite often there's organised crime groups that are running behind it and they are just criminal businesses that are just trying to make as much money as possible. And it's a business model that they exploit. And of course, when we were initially setting up this interview, you mentioned the link between modern slavery and gender-based violence. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. So I've worked on quite a few cases where they generally do have domestic elements, so that there are elements of modern slavery like forced and sham marriage that fall under the modern slavery umbrella, and there will absolutely be factors of domestic abuse and modern slavery, and potentially with things like honour-based violence um, and things of that nature as well. You've got the domestic servitude aspect of modern slavery, which or could have relationship aspects. And we've seen sexual exploitation, as I mentioned earlier, the most common one is where I'm using a male as an example, but a male pimps his female partner out, obviously in a relationship and everyone is comfortable with the fact that that's not a nice positive relationship, but actually the the movement of brings in the trafficking legislation and does open up more support for people. But there are other crossovers. I had a case fairly recently where a female had been placed in a refuge and had money placed in her bank account by her partner, but a sizable amount. But she had no recourse to public funds. She had been trafficked to the UK. And there were domestic elements, but also there was trafficking. It opened up more support where she had no recourse to public funds. She wasn't able to pay well, there was no payment going towards the refuge, but we managed to get her into the national referral mechanism where she was then given support, she was given help. You can access all types of support via the national referral mechanism and she, the funding was basically being paid to the refuge to allow her to stay there and she was exploring her settled status to try and stay in the UK. It hadn't been considered and obviously the IDVAs and everyone involved were doing a great job, but it had just not been added, if you like, to the repertoire of things that could help. And that's where they're funding out. She's getting support with other things as well. And it's just trying to think a bit laterally, if that makes sense. So you don't cut off support if you try and ask people what's going on and have a real clear picture of everything that's going on. People might not want to engage with that type of support, but if you never consider it, then it will never be an option that they could opt for, if that makes any sense. Yeah, perfect sense. And it sounds absolutely pivotal in her case. So just to finish then, you've said that we're behind on our understanding of modern slavery. What needs to happen to move us on? I think, I mean, there's a lot of training out there and I've been on them quite a lot. For me, people have the misconception it doesn't go on on your doorstep, but it absolutely does. I try and give people a bit of a local context, you know, so you probably will be aware of like the Mo Farah case. Obviously, that was high profile. But because it's high profile, people tend to think of it not you know, in and around the communities where we live. You know, this goes on all the time and the figures are staggering. There's an estimated around, it's an approximation, about half a million people in the UK in some form of exploitative setting. But the amount of people that were safeguarded through the national referral mechanism was 12,000 people. The last amount of stats and 
my maths is not great, but that's not a very high percentage, which shows you it's not utilised as much as it should or could. So the more awareness raising, the, you know, the more people see it in the public domain, when people are out and about, when you're getting your car washed or your nails done, asking yourself those questions, you know, could this be something else? You know, just having those perceptions because people are really comfortable in their personal life, you know, as am I, you know, not always looking for it. But actually, it's in the communities where we live, where we work, and, you know, people are just not, not switched on to it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Paul. It's a topic that I've not really considered in enough detail. I've learned so much from talking to you. Thank you. Oh, thanks. It's been, it's been nice to be part of it. So thanks for inviting me. Well, I don't know about you, but as soon as I got finished recording this episode with Paul, I went straight to Google. I wanted to find out exactly what was going on in my local area. And I have to say, I was pretty stunned by the picture in the Northeast. So today's invitation to activism is just that, to arm yourself with the information about what's going on in your local area. I've included in the show notes a link to antislavery.org's website where they've come up with five ways that we can all help in the fight against trafficking. But really, if you do nothing else, go to Google, see what is going on so that when you are out and about in the world, like Paul says, you can bring that fresh awareness and new eyes to what you see. Tomorrow, my guest is the fabulous Emily Jacob. Now, Emily is a friend, she's a fellow coach, and she's also really my inspiration, I've told her this before, for why I became a coach. I heard Emily speak about her work in 2017, and that was the moment that I was really called to activism, the moment that I felt that I could make a difference in the lives of survivors. So I'm very excited to bring her to you tomorrow. Emily runs Reconnected Life, supporting survivors of rape and sexual assault, whether as adults or children, and her work is now licensed and used by several rape response organisations around the UK. Her perspective on this topic is one I value highly, and I can't wait for you to hear her speak.